chapter 1. We've already heard the beginning of the creation story, and now John adds another view, as we see in the middle of time, just who was this word? What was this word that God spoke that created? So we will read the beginning of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. Well, we're going to be focusing on mainly verse 14 and what it means that the Son became man for us in our bodies. And so I want to begin by asking, do you fear your body? Are you afraid of your body? Not in the sense of cowering in terror, but do you think of it as a as a bother? A limitation, something that might get in your way. With all of our our growing technologies, it can be easy to ignore our bodies or not think of them. And then all of a sudden, they matter. You go without getting a night or two of sleep. You tweak that nagging injury that comes back with a vengeance. You get a cancer diagnosis or other some severe illness. Or as we all do now in the midst of this pandemic where there is a shelter-in-place order because our body can be infected by other bodies and can be infectors as well. You could say, what a bother. Really, right now, when we are staying at home, sheltering in place, we are in some ways curbing purposely much of our embodied life. And it is tempting at times to wish that you didn't have a body. That you could be a machine. Bodies are inconvenient. They're smelly. They're messy. 
Uh, we have twins right now. We know it, it is literally possible to do four diaper changes in 20 minutes. Your bodies don't always do what you want when they're young and then when you get older. You may regress back to diapers. You may lose your memory. Well, we're going to look at the story of the human body in the Bible today. Over the last few weeks, I had the opportunity to read a book called Analog Church, Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in the Digital Age. It's a book by Jay Kim. He, of course, did not know that there was going to be a coronavirus that was going to come out as his book was, as his book was coming out, that the coronavirus would break out. Uh, it was uh, very uh, providential, and so I, I've read it, and there was, there'll be some sermon ideas coming from that book as we reflect on life in this virus, but I wanted to start by just thinking about our bodies. What does God say about our bodies? And where the sermon point is very narrow, embodied life is God's plan for you. God planned for you to live in the body. And we're going to start by looking at Genesis 1. You can keep a marker in John 1 because we'll be coming back there. But let's flip to what some of the things Scripture says in Genesis 1 about your bodies. Scripture says your body is very good. When you look at the creation story, everything is good. Now, I know some of you are saying my body is not very good right now. And our bodies now, uh, after the curse, are a mix of good and bad. They can do wonderful things or they can become prisons of pain and discomfort. But that's not the way it was supposed to be. And we're looking here at Genesis 1 at the way that God created and intended our bodies to be and what he had in mind. And as I said when I read this, that what is most special are the last two days. Day 6, where God creates humanity. And then day 7, where the Lord sets apart the Sabbath day. And in day six, it says God created humanity in his image. Now, what does it mean to be created in his image? It's a, it's a multifaceted idea of being created in his image. But at the core, it means that we are related to God. We are special to him in some way that is unlike any other in creation. The word image and likeness that comes up in verses 26 and 27 is religious language. Let me read for you a verse from Exodus 20. It's the second commandment out of ten. Listen to this in Exodus 20, verse 4. God says to Israel, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. There are those two words, image and likeness. Why would God put those same two words in, in the creation account in the, 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 one of the Ten Commandments? Because when people were worshipping in their temples or their shrines, they would put an image that was a likeness of the God that presented the, pers- the God they worshipped. Now we need to be very careful and say that we are not God. There is something that theologians very helpfully call the, the creator-creature distinction. Right? There are ways that we are connected to God and, and like Him, but we are not God. One of the ways is at time of creation, God had no body. He was a spirit. We're physical. And, and yet, this powerful image says that you are like God. You are connected to the world. And like an image in a temple, you are even supposed to reflect to all who see the character of this God that you serve. Right? 
There, there's so much incredible in this act of creation and image. But this is, this, this is what makes us different and separates us from the rest of creation and the animals. This image is what gives us our knowledge of morality and beauty, our thirst for significance, our eternal soul. Now, I want us to focus on just one thing of this image that may seem lower and less important, but it's not. It's your physical body. In this creation, in this image, your physical body is part of what it means to be made in God's image and likeness. It might be tempting to cough with embarrassment at that statement. As God's image makers, bearers, as we have harnessed much of the world and come up with with wonderful technologies, we have tried to uh, override some of the limitations of our wonderful but very local bodies. We've We've made ships to be able to conquer the seas, animals, and eventually cars to overcome land, planes to overcome the sky, and now the internet, which allows you to be in multiple places at once, kind of removing that, that located physicality. But that, um, in fact, there's actually a, a science fiction show where at the very end it shows humans a million years later who have evolved beyond our bodies, and we still have these human body suits but now we're spirits that inhabit them. Right? Because we move past that. But that wasn't God's plan. No, he, he created us as physical beings. And it says in Genesis 1, verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He, there's physical languages there. Male and female, talking about the, the physical differences of the human race. He talks about being fruitful and multiplying. That's, that's a physical act. And then the command to subdue the world and have dominion over it, also physical actions. And at the end of day six, God says everything, including your bodies, are very good. So that means your bodies are part of God's plan. You're not an accident. The, the physical aspects of who you are are somehow, they're not worse or less important than who you are in your spiritual aspects. And the most incredible thing that I find is that God made us in our limited bodies in a way that we can show off through those bodies something of who he is. You are to reflect God's character in your life through your body. Now this may sound so simple because we use them all the time, we breathe all the time, but I want us to look at three ways that God calls us to image him that you couldn't do without your body. Because we need to stop and imp- at this time in our history and appreciate the bodies that God has given us. God has given you senses to interpret the world. Right? He made you with senses to notice and interact with and to sense what is good in his creation. Kids, think about your five senses, right? You're, you're, you're looking right now, you're hearing, you might be feeling what you're sitting on, uh, you're going to taste something for dinner, you'll smell it. How would your life be different if even you, missed, you were missing one of your senses? It would be completely changing the way that you interacted with the world. Right? But God made us somewhat like the animals. Animals have senses too, and some of them have cool echolocation things that we don't have. They can sense, but he made us different that we can go beyond mere sensing. We can interpret what is good. You can stop at a sunset and be moved by its beauty. You can be caught up in a rapture listening to music. 
You can relax and unwind under the soothing calm of a hot shower after a hard day's work. You can enjoy the taste and sensation of something delightful. We Barshingers have a tradition that comes from my grandmother, Barshinger on the Barshinger side. Because we hailed from PA Dutch, we would have strawberry shortcake for a meal. That's what grandma did. And so even this year, we went out and normally we would hand pick the strawberries. We couldn't do that, so we paid an arm and two legs for several quarts of strawberries fresh from the field. And then Elizabeth made some, some delicious shortcake bread and you, you cut it open and you put the strawberries on and then we get our own cream and we whip it and we put it on top. I even put some whole milk in and eat it like cereal. It's, it's delicious. We only do it once or twice a year. It's wonderful. It's a blessing from God. And in all these ways that you interact with the world, you can notice and interpret they are good and glorify God for it. Kids, this is what makes you different from a hamster or a dog or a whale. You can enjoy it. You you can rejoice in your physicality. You can share with others. My sisters have been down and we all enjoy dark beers and so I've enjoyed sharing with them one that I discovered in Texas right before the shelter in place. And so as you enjoy and sense and discern this world, relish in it, but remember to give God thanks for it. My father was down just yesterday and dad likes pizza and Sammy likes pizza, so we, we bought some pizza. And, and I made sure to thank God for the yumminess and the texture and the taste of the pizza. So God's made you to be sensors and interpreters of his good creation and to enjoy it. But he's also made you to be doers, to accomplish things. And you do that with your bodies. And again, this is different from any other creature. We do not have monuments from long ago of even apes from what they created with their hands in past ages. No, but that's something that we do as image makers. During my vacation time, both of our families came down. It was very helpful. And one of the things I did with my father-in-law was put the finishing touches on the landscape about the manse. There was another small bed I wanted to do on the one side, and then we had planted two crepe myrtle trees, and so we put rings and, and we, we mulched them. And I said, no more anymore. It would be just more work. But that was they've kind of put a cap on what we wanted to do. And it only took a few hours of pulling out grass and digging and leveling and hammering. But then you step back, and there is that sense of, Satisfaction of having accomplished something with your own hands. That's, that's a God-given accomplishment. Now, yes, we do fabricate a lot of things today. A lot of things are being made in the assembly line or even 3D printing. But even then, the work, even if it's not done with human hands, I could see a day when even the technicians will be robots. The, the work is still being programmed by human beings. We're makers. I will say that there is something important about the physical, and we'll talk about this more in, in later weeks. And I think it is important that we as humans don't completely lose touch with our physicality in making things. Um, it's special when somebody makes something for you, isn't there? There's just a special touch if you know it's made by someone. Uh, now, my undershirt, which nobody cares about, was made by mu- machines. It was made on a, an automated loom. But the vest that I'm wearing today is, is a different story. Elizabeth is an accomplished seamstress. And I found out how accomplished she was when she made her own wedding dress. And I knew she was good when the photographer asked her if, if it was an antique. 
the dress. And she also made this vest for me. It's, it's from the uh, same fabric as the, the bridesmaid's dresses, so it kind of tied in nicely. And I, I generally wear it once a year on Easter, which I did this year. Uh, today I'm wearing it as an illustration. I also realized I won't wear it next year, so that kind of averages out, right? But there's something special about her making this for me. I, I can still remember her taking the measurements and cutting the fabric, and, and putting the pieces all together. And, and she had me stand in her parents' living room, and, and then she stood on the coffee table that was there so that she could be high enough to make some of the adjustments on me. And I have vivid memories of my young bride-to-be with pins in her mouth, kind of looking this way and that, and, and arranging the fabric and making it just so. It's a special vest because my wife made it for me. And it also reminds me that, that we're married. This vest also starts to get to the third way that we're close to the way that we image God, that we have the ability to be present with each other. Right? It's, it's not just that Elizabeth made it for me, but that she was there with me as she did it. And one of the ways that we image God is simply to be near other people. God's ultimate goal for you and me is to live with him, to dwell with him, to be in his presence, to enjoy him. That's the point of day seven, where he sets apart the Sabbath day, that rest where God is now sitting in this creation, which really is a miniature temple. The garden is a temple where he is there with his people enjoying them. And the whole goal is that we are to commune and to live and to know God deeply. And so one of the ways that we image God is simply then being with other people in our physical bodies, and not just physically present, but to commune with deep relationships. It is special to be in the presence of other people. There is something special about the human physical presence that perhaps you and I have taken for granted until we have this shelter-in-place order, and we don't have much of it anymore. Uh, phone calls, social media, video chat, they're, they are helpful. As someone who has been deployed and separated from my family and having only those things, I can say they are much better than nothing. But as someone who's been away for a year, I can also say they are no replacement. Right? I know that Sammy loves people, and he'll look over to church and say, people come back. Right? I, who am an introvert, I admit that sometimes when I'm in my office and someone comes into the church, I don't always stick my head out and say hi just because I'm doing something. I'm in my introverted group. So if that's you, I'm sorry, it's nothing. It's not you, it's me. I come bounding out of the door now when I see someone working on the lawn or dropping something off because we miss you. I miss you guys. We miss that human presence. Perhaps one of the dangers of our technology and all of its blessing is that we've been... Con- tent to substitute real people more often than not for virtual community and think it's the same. The online presence has its place. It's very useful. But the saying goes, if you're everywhere, you're nowhere. And we'll talk about more of that later on. You just simply can't replicate sitting around the fire at night, devices aside, watching the embers with your family, your friends, and, and the conversation that slowly comes from that as you get to know each other. You have to be present. This is important during everyday life. It's even more important during the high points of life where we share both the laughter and the joys and then the hard times and the aches and the pains. The joys of weddings and births and the sorrows and sicknesses of death. Almost 20 years ago, 
my dad, who at that time was working at a, at a group home caring for mentally handicapped men, was, had made a trip, dropped some of the men off, and he was on the way back driving the company minivan. It was a, it was a rainy day. The roads were slippery. He was coming around a curve, and as he did on the other side, there was a truck distributing beer, and the driver had partaken in some of its goods. And the truck, both going fast, the truck and the van crossed the line and hit my dad's van head on and shattered him. Three of his four limbs were broken, some in multiple places, some quite badly. His remaining shoulder of his good limb was separated. Praise God. The airbag did its job. It protected his vital organs in his head. The minivan crumpled around him and he, he lived. I was at college at the time, three and a half hours away from the Lehigh Valley and State College, and I, I got the call. And I knew I had to go. So I talked to my professors, got some, some leaves of excuses or extensions, and I drove those three and a half hours to see my dad in the hospital. Can't remember if I got home first or I went straight to the hospital, but it was very shortly after I arrived in the valley. And I remember my mom saying to my dad, who was still in a slightly medic, uh, medicine-induced haze, "Look who's here." And I went in. I didn't say much, but I visited it, and I had to be there. I had to be with them. I couldn't just call him. At those, it's at those times when you know that, that Skype or a Facebook post won't do. We must be in each other's presences. I think one of the most insidious aspects of the COVID virus is that it takes a thing that God makes to be a blessing, human presence, and turns it into a danger. That's, 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 that's part of the fall. It's, it's painful to know that I could be endangering others and be a danger to each other without knowing it. It takes what is good and, and makes it a possible harm. I'm thankful for our leaders, and um, it's not something that we want to second-guess. It's very difficult when you're trying to do the best to protect us. Right now, public policy is really a question of risk versus reward. And I'm grateful that there's a lot being done to protect us physically. But something that I do see missing from the discussion is the value of personal in the flesh interaction. Um, yes, we need to take steps to protect the public and especially those who are vulnerable. Um, but we haven't at least heard in the conversation is the despair, the depression and the suicides that, are, that come when you are cut off from other people. I'm not saying this to critique any particular policy, but what I do think is that when we look back in hindsight, we will see that removing ourselves for such a long time was a higher cost than we realized. And that's because we were made for each other's presence. God made you, and you are good, and this includes your body. And as we think about how we can sense and we can act and we can be present and commune together, it's incredible. It gives incredible value and dignity to our bodies. 
But then God did the even more astounding thing. Turn back with me to First John, or John 1. God took a body to dwell with us. Of course, when you go from Genesis 1 to John 1, there's a lot of the story that we skip over of how the world went wrong and, and how instead of reflecting God's glory, we, we shattered it and tried to shine lights on our own greatness. As a result, cast it out of God's presence in his temple garden, cursed in our bodies, and we've been wondering ever since. But it is into this situation that God does the unthinkable. The God who created the world takes a body on himself. So that's what John says in, when he talks about verse 14, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In this passage that we read, John lays out the mysteries of eternal God becoming a creature, and of all things a human body. Those are the things that we've sung and we've proclaimed today. But John is specific here about who this is. The Word. The Son, who is the second person of the Trinity. I I want you to stop and think about this. That God created everything. In Genesis 1, uh, it speaks about God speaking, creating through His Word. In the Old Testament, God's Word was almost a personal quality. It was an extension of who He was. It had creative power. And now in John... He reveals that the word was more than just speech. It was a person who was with God, the Father. The word was the one who brought about creation. Nothing could happen or exist at all without him. Not galaxies or stars or planets or frogs or bacteria or volcanoes, hurricanes, everything. He made it all. He owns it all. He controls it all. This is the word. And this word who created the world takes a human body. It's like a writer who who created a world through words, entered into that book and became a character. this This is the great mystery of the incarnation, that God became man. Sammy's already starting to wrestle with the incarnation. We pray to God at night, and and then we pray to Jesus. And we Sammy say, Jesus, not God. It's like, well, well no, Jesus is God. He's he's also man. But he's God. Now he says, oh, Jesus is God. He doesn't understand, but he says. We can't explain it all. But we do know that it is incredible. The question I want to ask today is, what does it make a difference in our own bodies that the Son of God took one? Well, think about it. If the Son came down and lived and experienced life in the body, there is nothing or demeaning or trivial about your embodied life. Think about it, how we talked about, how we interpret, we act, we are present. Jesus did all of those as the God-man. He experienced the sensations that you do. Kids, Jesus tasted things that were yummy. He had the feasts, where I, all, all the good things. Jesus experienced the limitations of the human body. It was said that he never traveled more than 60 miles in any direction from his hometown outside of his going to Egypt and back. But once he was in his ministry, never 60 miles more in either direction. Do you know how he got around? With some very, uh, very small limit exceptions of boats and a donkey at the end, his own feet. The God who made the world walked on dusty roads in his own two feet. Kids, he knew the pains and inconveniences of life. He knew the runny noses, the hiccups, 
the coals, the stubbed toes, all those things. He sensed them like us. He made things. For the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he was a carpenter. He worked with wood. Think about this. The God who spoke trees into existence now used his own hands and simple tools to make chairs and tables and everyday common things. Think about what the value of what that says about what you do with your own work, with your own bodies, if God came down and did that. And even more, he came to communicate God's presence, most importantly. And once again, he did it with a human body. One of the most powerful things we can do is be present with other other people because God has made us to experience those deep relationships. Remember, Jesus is called the Word. He is the way that God communicated himself to us. John says, in Jesus, we see God's glory and grace incredibly enough lived out in human flesh. Later on, Jesus' disciples, Philip, will say to him, show us the Father. And in John 14, 9, Jesus says to him, have I not been with you so long, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I find it incredibly touching that God entered our limited experience to be present with us when we ran from him. That's our God. Of course, it's not the main point of the sermon today, but it it was only as, as God became man in Jesus that he could die for his people so we could experience eternal life, which includes our bodies, so we can live in bodily forever with him, where one day God will wipe away tears from our eyes. These are the times when you look at at God in his wisdom and what he has done, and all you can do is stand in amazement. Stand in awe. So do you fear your body? There is no plan B. It is in God's mind. They are good. Your bodies are God's gift to you. Even as they fail you, they are telling you there's more ahead There's life in the body resurrected in the new heavens, the new earth. So as Christians, we we don't want to worship our bodies. We don't want to ignore them or fear them. But enjoy them as a gift from God. Take care of them and use them to please and reflect our maker. And remember that God was so determined to offer you embodied life in his presence forever that he came and took one himself and died on your behalf. Life in the body is not to be ignored or avoided or feared, but embraced as a good gift of God. After all, that is what we will be for eternity. Please pray with me. Fathers, we looked at one small facet of your creation and your incarnation, but an important one. We say with David, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Lord, we thank you for our bodies. May we use them well. May we not worship them, but be stewards of them. Would you care for those who are in pain today because their bodies are breaking down? And would you give us all the hope of the new heavens and the new earth? where we will sing full-throated, 
We will work. We will sense. We will be together with you forever. And it will be very good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.